you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today for episode 23. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 23. And today I'm joined by guest co-host Jake Poinier, who some of you may know as Dr. Freelance. You can find him at drfreelance.com and I will link to his blog for you there in our show notes. Today, Jake is here to chat with me about building creative teams for your professional writing career. That might go from a freelancer bringing in a virtual assistant or a proofreader, to a blogger hiring a designer, to indie authors hiring editors and cover designers. We're going to talk about this not only from the perspective of having a creative team to help you with projects for your own business, but also on a referral basis, or even being brought in as a subcontractor when you're a freelancer. Jake and I also sidetrack a little bit to talk about a few other issues during the show including, for example, the issue of authority bloggers and what does or doesn't make someone a true authority. You'll also hear about the upcoming ebooks both of us have in the works. So let's just jump into our pre-recorded call. Welcome, Jake. I'm so happy to have you today. Well, I am thrilled to be here. We are talking about creative teams and how they can be a benefit to writers of all kinds. We're talking about freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors here. So why don't we start out by talking a little bit about what we mean when we say a creative team. Can you give us some examples of what your team looks like? Sure, absolutely. For me, it kind of goes back to my background in magazine editing, and I quickly learned that as much as it was important to be friends with other editors and, and writers and things like that, that it was incredibly important to be friends with people in the art department, to be friends with people in the production department, later on, people that were working on the web. And so it really kind of, it showed me the importance of kind of creating an ecosystem for your own success, because as much as people think that, oh, it's just about getting an assignment, writing it up and sending it out, or if you're a graphic designer, give me the words and I'll, I'll slap something together. It really comes down to you know, that you're at the, at the center point of a hub. Um, you know, for me, I have multiple proofreaders that I work with, multiple designers, multiple web designers, photographers, videographers. I've got a friend who's a voiceover person. So I really have, you know, a pretty wide and, and diverse group of people that I work with on a fairly regular basis. And the other thing is, you know, I, I said I have multiples of each. The key to that is that, you know, I can choose a designer if I'm working on something of my own. Um, I can choose a designer whose style I want for my own thing. If I'm presenting to a client who wants a website done, I don't do web stuff, web technical stuff. I do content only. I can show them three portfolios of web designers that I work with and say, okay, do you want A, B, or C? So ultimately what it comes down to is remembering that as writers, we are business owners, that it's more than just the writing that we're doing for someone else or for our own books or blogs. Yes, that's key from a business perspective, but I also think it's more fun. It's more enjoyable. You feel like you're part of uh, kind of a, an ever-morphing team that 
keeps me engaged and uh, I feel like it helps me be more creative to have those creative inputs from other places and people that have differently creative minds and be able to have that back and forth, back and forth process as opposed to just sitting at your desk and waiting till the, the blood drops form on your forehead and, and magic comes out of your fingertips. You know, it's funny that you say that because I wish it was more fun for me. <laughs> I do. So it is mostly just business for me. So it's interesting that there's, you know, two completely different ways of looking at this. I can understand what you're saying. You know, I have designers, for instance, that I'm good friends with. And one of them will actually be a guest on the show. And I'm hoping to get him to do a book cover design for me. He's got his own little cult following. He's awesome. But you know, working with somebody like that would be really, really fun for me. But when I'm just hiring a designer or a developer, it's rarely been fun, come to think of it. And it's not that they can't do their job or that they're not creative, but I don't like that management aspect of it where I don't like having to manage a project to go to them, explain what I need, and then review everything. And I think a part of that is some of them that I've worked with have been heavy on the questions where I've ultimately ended up deciding to go back to the DIY route for certain things because my experience was I was spending more time explaining what I wanted and then reviewing and then dealing with the edits and changes than it was for me to just hammer something out myself. So I am A, all for the DIY route if you can do it and it's the most efficient thing. But I'm also very much for hiring contractors because you can't do it all yourself. But there is that management aspect, I guess, that takes some of the fun out of it for me, or I, maybe I wish it was more. So maybe you should send me links to all the people that you work with so I can have a little <laughs> more fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put, well, them, we'll put know, them up on the show notes page so people can check them out if you're willing okay. to share well, them. <laughs> so so here I'm going to go back to uh, When Harry Met Sally. You've seen the movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember when Billy Crystal talks to uh, Meg Ryan's character about high maintenance and low maintenance? I do not hire anybody that's high maintenance. I don't, I, I would rather hire somebody that is extremely good and easy to work with than somebody who is incredibly awesome and a pain in the ass. And again, that is something that was formed in my own experiences, particularly in the magazine industry, where um, you know, as a managing editor, I was hiring, you know, what, 10, um, you know, 10 articles a month for some of these magazines, sometimes more than that when you got into departments and things like that. And I didn't have the time to have somebody that, that needed a lot of handholding. Here's a good example. So when I, when I went to my last corporate job, it was a custom publishing company where they published the magazines like uh, – you get from your insurance company or from a healthcare organization or whatever. And it's, uh, you know, just kind of generic health stuff, but it's really an advertorial for a hospital. Okay. So I stepped into the editor's shoes and he hands me this list of freelancers. And he said, these people are all great and fantastic. And after working with probably six or eight of them, I had to ditch a bunch of them because they were super high maintenance. And I, I just, I, I didn't have the time to deal with that. So, you know, one of my qualifications, you know, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Uh, one of my qualifications is, is, are you somebody that is responsive, 
who doesn't ask a lot of questions or who asks questions in a batch as opposed to, uh, you know, five separate emails with separate questions that all could have been answered together. I try to fix that on the front end as opposed to get, because I don't like managing people. Um, You know, I, I, I like to think that I was reasonably good at it, but I didn't like it. I don't I actually my, my personal philosophy is that people are unmanageable, like at heart. So <laughs> I would I would rather have people that are kind of self managing. Yeah. And as I say, low maintenance. Yeah, maybe that's because we're freelancers ourselves. Yeah. You know, we don't yeah. want to be managed, you know, by normal people. No. So <laughs> No, exactly that I react very poorly to that. Yeah. And you know what I've noticed too is that when I hire contributors for my sites, when I hire other writers, they are much easier for me to manage. I can be much more hands-off. Um, when All Indie Writers was still all freelance writing and there was a regular team of writers there, it was the rules are pretty simple. You have a set topic to cover within that topic. Write about whatever the hell you want. I don't have specific word count limits. Just keep it on topic. Really simple. And mm-hmm. you know, make sure it's up there on time and that was it. And I didn't have to worry about them. They did that. And I think a part of that is just when you give them that freedom, perhaps it helps. But then when I work with designers specifically, designers have been the biggest problem for me. And I guess I can understand that because, you know, design is so subjective and you're going to see different mock-ups and things and, you know, prototypes, but, you know, they're going to come to you with different ideas and, you have to kind of steer it in a certain direction. Whereas with a writer, it's like, okay, again, here's your topic, run with it. And that's not only the all freelance writing contributors, but I've hired other colleagues to write for some of my smaller blogs. I've even hired family members. And again, it's just like, don't come to me with questions, ask me what to write, just write something that fits and you know, have some fun with it and do your thing. And if I have a problem with what you're publishing, I simply won't publish it. <laughs> It was just right. easier, but, you know, they'll still get paid, but, you know, I can make that decision after. And that was a decision I made simply, I'd rather pay for something and not use it than have to waste my time managing all the little piddly details. But even developers, you know, I've worked with developers to have the tools created for all indie writers, like the calculators and things. Never a problem. You know, I would review the code and everything after. I'd have to do some testing, obviously, to make sure that there weren't compatibility issues on the site. But other than that, it was pretty simple. Here's what I want. Make it work. And they could do that. But, yeah, I think designers are probably what makes it so not fun for me. (laughs) I haven't had great experiences with designers. designers, Because I know designers, and I don't know why I don't go to the friends and family members I have who are designers, I should just hire them. Maybe it would be more fun. I, you know, as, as I say, I mean, I, I, some of these people that I work with, I've been working with since last century. So, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, back in the buggy and, uh, and horse whip days. <laughs> um, but it's going to sound absolutely mercenary. But when you hear the, what's the old saying, uh, you know, hire slowly and fire quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, if I work with a designer that doesn't get the job done, it's not going to happen again. I mean, it's just not. And so the, you know, I've got a half dozen rock solid aces 
that I go to. Um, now, here's the other aspect, though. They're pretty expensive. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have any bargain basement solutions where if somebody comes to me and wants a website built for a thousand bucks or something like that, I, you know, you're going to need to go to Weebly or whatever the yeah. one that they advertise. <laughs> you know, I, I can't help you with that. But if you're willing to put in a couple thousand dollars and have something that's rock solid, that I can help you with. So, you know, I, I realize there's a relationship between the cost and the quality of the person. But, you know, for me, it's so much about the relationship. And, you know, one of the, uh, one of the design partners I work with, when I did my cold calling spree back in 2001 to kind of build, build business after things had tailed off, these people were in the bees. And so I know they're among probably the first 20 people that I called and they're still clients because we yin and yang well together. You know, they call me for projects. I call them for projects and there's very little, uh, you know, there's very little friction to the process. That's what enables it to be fun is that it's like, okay, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're working in concert with somebody as opposed to having to tell them, you know, I want people to get it. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, and again, it's it absolutely mercenary to say that you should be quick to fire people, but like if, if something is not working out. Oh no. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Really, about that. You know, um, the tough one though is, I mean, if you come into a project where, uh, you know, the client already has a designer. Yeah. That's frustrating. Um, you know, if, if the designer doesn't get it, um, yeah, that, that definitely sends my frustration level up. Um, as far as that goes, yeah. but I love designers. I mean, I, I really, you know, I have uh, a, a great amount of respect for them, and uh, yeah, I'm the world's worst. Know. I'm the world's worst designer, so <laughs> I, I, you know, I, you, uh, you, there's no distinction between my drawings and what I did when I was fourth grade. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I know good design when I see it, but don't ask me to do it. Oh, you know, you brought up the issue of when clients have their own designers and. I've had that with other types of contractors too. Um, for example, I had posted on All Indie Writers a while back about giving up a gig that brought in about 30K a year, a little more than that. And the reason I left that client, and I really liked the client, was the fact that they brought in a new SEO consultant. And this SEO consultant was trying to take the company in a completely different direction violating basic SEO standards, doing things that weren't really ethical, um, just trying to manipulate rankings. And again, it was Black like, hat? Yeah. Black, black hat stuff? Jeez, okay. Yeah, and I was like, I can't be a part of this. You know, I remember they wanted me to write about the exact same thing five different times, for example, which is like super old school SEO garbage, where it's just a different headline, so you're targeting each version of this phrase. I was like, mm. you don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. And that's not offering any value. I was like, I can't be a part of this kind of stuff. And the excessive linking requirements that they had, it was just, it was going to be too much. I was like, I can't be a part of it. I told them, look, I need to back down. It was the fact that this was like an outside person coming in and doing something that was going to negatively impact my work. And that is incredibly frustrating because I had no say in who was going to be picked, brought in. It wasn't like they were my consultant being brought in or somebody I partner with. 
And, you know, that happens, you know, like you said, it happens with designers and sometimes a designer is going to be brought in who changes your copy because your copy doesn't fit their design and the client decides that the design is more important and you don't have somebody who can work with you well on that. And yeah, but it's not just designers though, SEO people, it's all kinds of consultants that that can happen with. So having your own team, you know, yeah, not just for our own businesses, but to be able to bring in on client projects as freelancers is super important if they don't have somebody internally. And yeah, I prefer when they don't have somebody internally sometimes. Yeah. Well, I would say 99% of the time <laughs> because, well, because again, think about it, you know, you, if they've got a, let's just call it a junior level designer, whether yeah. it's a, a web designer or a, uh, graphic designer, or what have you? If, you know, if, they're, if they've got a junior person that's getting paid thirty-five thousand dollars a year, my people that are making six figures are going to be around the circles around that person. Yeah. And you know, they've got them on staff because it's cheap, but um, you know, it, it takes a lot of seasoning before somebody is capable of understanding. Well, okay, so here's the, you know, I'm, I'm total Mr. ADHD, but here's uh, you know, the other aspect of it is the business aspect and what what results they're going to get from those types of products. And if somebody hires that person and has them on full time, they're kind of generating work for them to do as opposed to if you're hiring a bunch of independent contractors who are all, you come in, you go out, and the project's done. So I think that's another aspect that when you have a partially assembled creative team that you need to fit into, um, it can be tough. And, you know, you had mentioned, you mentioned the, um, the cost savings of them hiring a full-timer. And previously you had mentioned the cost of spending you know, thousands of dollars on a website. And when you were saying that, I was sitting there picturing indie authors who are listening and just watching their eyes bug out. <laughs> just thought of spending thousands of dollars on a website. And, um, I just want to point out to them that, A, you probably don't need to do that for a basic author website right away or anything, so don't panic and think we're saying you have to do that right now. But at the same time, you know, think about freelancers, freelance writers, and we're out there trying to convince our clients, you know, that we're worth $100 an hour, $150 an hour, maybe more than that for some. And at the same time, it is kind of funny that so many writers don't value other creative talents the same way we want ours to be valued. And I think the other the same is true. You know, designers, you know, web designers don't always value writers either, and they want to get cheap content to fill their design clients' websites. But, you know, just keep that in mind, though, you know, especially freelancers. If you're looking to get something professional done, you want a professional website overhaul, you want even just a logo to better represent you or some other kind of branding, that there is more than just software skills involved in some of this stuff here. You know, they need to understand from the marketing perspective if they're helping you come up with branding and the marketing collateral. So I don't know. I guess my point is just put yourself in their shoes before you immediately poo-poo someone because you think they're too expensive you know the good ones are worth waiting for just like the good writers are worth waiting for and paying for so keep that in mind it won't you, know, you won't always have the budget for the best but if you can afford to wait until you can hire them do that 
highly recommend doing that. It makes a big difference. And I shouldn't and, talk. And I, <laughs> well, because I do most of my web design. <laughs> I can yeah, code a, but, I can code a site from scratch though, and I've seen so many from designers where the code is a mess that I've gotten to the point where it would take me it takes me longer to tell them what I want and to get a new WordPress theme done than it does for me to just whip up something from scratch these days. I got to the point where I was doing mock-ups in Photoshop before I would send it because they just I don't know if it's the designers I happen to work with. I've only worked with a few for WordPress themes. Um, and like you said, it was a fire quickly kind of thing. Never worked with them after the first. But they always seem to have a difficult time either understanding what I wanted or they had this like preconceived notion or maybe they were working from their own sort of templates or something where they were stuck in a certain style and it was not what I was looking for. So I would do mock-ups first. And then it got to the point where there was one time I'm waiting for this guy to freaking code this site. And I had actually done most of the design. This is actually just a coder. And he was going to be, he was going to code the thing for me. And, and it was taking him so long. I just said, screw this, did it myself. And it was done in two days. It was ridiculous. Let me ask you a question on that count though. Yeah. Because I think this is, you know, this is an important thing that ties back to your comments about, uh, you know, spending money on your own websites and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that's professional brand image and all those, all those things. How, what was your decision-making process in picking this particular person? I mean, did he have an awesome portfolio and then didn't deliver what you thought was the same quality? He did. And it was somebody that I had to wait quite a while to actually get on the schedule for so it was exceptionally disappointing because it was a project I yeah. had wanted to move forward on and I had waited to get him. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can wait a long time for them. And it's not all of them, but man, maybe he was just slow. I don't know. <laughs> he seemed awfully oh. slow for my process. Now, now here's the other thing though, because, uh, you know, if you have good relationships with your designers, you get a lot more VIP treatment. And so, you know, I think that, people need to keep that in mind where, I mean, if I cold call a designer because I like their portfolio, yeah, maybe it's going to be six months. But if I call somebody that is, uh, you know, that I send business and that sends me business and, and all those types of uh, interactions, funny enough, I can get up pretty far in the queue. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, in my case, these were people that I found that I had admired their work on other projects that I'd seen them do. So that's why I hired them and right. it didn't work out. And we never got to that point of really building that relationship because I was so unhappy with them that sure. it was like, I'd rather just give you my money and tell you to go away now. <laughs> and I'll find somebody else next time because this is just a hassle. So, but you bring up yeah. a good point in that we can start building those relationships even before we're ready to hire. So especially in the case right. of freelancers where we could refer work back and forth. So well, there you go, a, freelancers. Start looking for work from design firms and send your clients their way when they need websites. It's it's my favorite business thing. I mean, absolutely, That is, as far as strategies, I, you know, I, I haven't done the pie chart on it this year, but, I mean, a significant percentage of my business comes from graphic designers and, and small, you know, small graphic design teams and things like that. I mean, a, a very significant portion of that business comes that way. 
And, you know, the good thing is that they're basically a virtual sales force. Um, sure. You know, I, I do not have to go out and, and solicit for business um, because I know I'm going to get a call and, um, you know, have something come my way. So, I mean, it, it's, it almost makes you feel lazy, but not really. <laughs> it's almost like these kinds of referral relationships are a lot like working with middleman clients of the, you know, the firm variety, the marketing firms, PR firms, SEO firms, advertising agencies, where the benefit is that they already have their own stable of clients and then they're bringing them to you. So you only have to worry about one contact and you have work from several coming into you. And it's the same kind of thing, except in this case, um, from what I understand from what you're saying, they refer work to you and vice versa, as opposed to the designer actually being your client, or do you do both? Um, no, it's mostly you know a partnership deal. So okay. the same thing I was talking about, where you know if a client comes to me and wants a website, and I'll give them the choice of A, B, and C web designers. The same thing, uh, you know, where if a if a graphic designer has somebody come in and they want a uh, a website built or whatever they'll call me and say, hey, Jake, can you do the content for this? Okay. And I, I honestly, I don't know if they're doing the A, B, and C, and they chose me, or if it was just A, um, that they give me a call. But, uh, yeah, it's mostly working on a, a project for a third-party, um, you know, third-party client that comes to them. Although, at the same time, I mean, one of the, one of the design firms that I work with the most I always help them when they want to update their website. And so, you know, that, uh, you know, again, what this, what this all really boils down to is I want clients and connections that want me to succeed. And I want my clients and other networking connections to succeed. If you go into it with that mentality where, you know, this isn't just a, a single transaction, a dollar word for 500 words and we're in and out, you know, again, it comes down to, you know, I want my clients to succeed and I want my uh, vendors to succeed just like they want it for me. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all about relationship building, networking. So like everything else with writing, it seems. It, it, it does boil down to the, the old handshake. So, you know, I want to talk specifically about indie authors for a minute because I feel like that is the writer group where teams are almost the most important, but at the same time, they're often the most neglected where authors these days who are self-publishing come in thinking that being an indie author means that they have to do everything themselves or they're simply not willing to spend a cent on their book. And when they do that, it shows. <laughs> it almost yeah. always shows. I'm not going to say that there is no writer out there who can do a fantastic cover design or great editing or anything else, because the moment I say that no writer can do it all, one is going to come out of the woodwork and <laughs> make me eat my words. But 99.9% .9 of you, of us, cannot do it all. So we need people to help. And even if you're a great editor, editing your own work is so different from editing someone else's. I'm, I'm going to actually argue it's impossible. Oh, like, I argue it, it, it can't be done. Okay, so quick, uh, quick story. 
I uh, was invited to speak to a group of professional speakers here in Phoenix, and they wanted me to present on on publishing, including writing for magazines and publishing their own books and stuff like that. So I go and I do this presentation, and my wife happened to be in the audience, and I made a statement very similar to what I what I just said to you, which was. Um, you know, by the way, when you've written your book, I'm sure that most of you are, are great communicators, great writers, all that. You also need to have, hire an editor. And I hired an editor for my own books. And so I feel very strongly about this. So I finished up my presentation and my wife like elbows me. She's like, you idiot. You know, why did you tell them that they need to hire an editor? You want them to hire you. So I was like, okay, you know, please take it. Um, and, uh, you know, furthermore that I had said that I needed an editor so that I, I had essentially demeaned myself by saying that I needed an editor. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get that, but I feel so strongly about it that, uh, you know, it does drive me nuts. I mean, I've got a super talented friend who wrote a book and he's probably one of the best editors I know, like best pure, like just you know, the old uh, green eye shade type editor. Um, and uh, his book was riddled with errors. And I didn't tell him because it wasn't <laughs> going to do me any good. But it's like, my God, I mean, could you not, you know, and leaving aside the structural things that he missed, I mean, there were plenty of, plenty of structural things that somebody could have helped him with. But you know, he just wanted to publish it. And he did his own cover. And it screams self-published and uh well again i'm totally biased because i can't design worth a damn um but uh you know i wanted to make sure that my own books looked like they could be on the shelves at barnes and noble and yeah. it's like i was not going i was not going to take anything less than that from a quality perspective and did it cost money yeah but it would have been garbage if i had tried to do it myself lord knows yeah that's book covers are a tough one for me because i'm a bit of a designer but not a great designer however i am an artist so my plan with fiction specifically is that i want to do a lot of the artwork myself but then i mm-hmm. have to hand that over to a designer to actually turn that artwork into a book cover because those are not the same things you know, being able to draw or do graphic design, if that's your thing, that is not the same thing as a book cover, which is a part of your branding. It's a marketing thing. And it's about so much more than how does it look in your hands? It's how does it look on a shelf? Can you read this? How are these fonts? Are they big enough for online previews and for thumbnails? And there's so much Mm -hmm. to it in a marketing sense that it's not just making it pretty. And it's not just slapping some stock photo and some text, you know, together and calling it a book cover. And it's very obvious when you do that. I don't care how good you think you are with Photoshop. It's still going to be obvious when you do that. And that's frustrating to see because I've read some really great indie books, which had terrible covers. And honestly, I'm not even sure why I gave them a shot to begin with. It was probably a simple case of either the first one was free and I said, eh, what the hell? Or it was just maybe somebody had recommended or there was a certain review, but it certainly wasn't the book itself that made me want to read it. And 
I might have missed those otherwise. I'm sure I've missed plenty of great indie books. And it's just so important because you need to catch their attention. It should give you some essence of what that book is about, or at least the feeling of the book. It, 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 you need to attract the right people. And most authors don't know how to do that visually. And equally, I think it's so important because I see, I saw this again last week and it was so frustrating. I was on a blog and this blogger was telling indie authors that they should write their own back cover copy. And I'm sort of thinking, no, 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 no. I don't care if you're a great fucking author. You, unless you're also a copywriter, you shouldn't be writing that cover copy. That is not the same thing as writing a book. It is marketing. And if you don't understand, you have to understand, copywriters aren't just writers. They are marketers. They understand consumer behavior and psychology enough to be able to take those words and that little blurb and have that make somebody take action to buy. And that is very, very different than writing a novel. And I find that so frustrating that writers were discouraging other writers from hiring other writers, you know, who happen to specialize in something different. Just because you can write one thing does not mean you can write everything. And it's frust I don't know, it was just so frustrating to see that because I think that's one of the areas where you really should have somebody on your team. And indie authors tend to neglect bringing in a copywriter who can handle their press releases, who can handle their book cover copy. And that's not necessarily going to be the same person for all of those projects. But any kind of marketing copy you want, you need help. You know, unless you have experience in that area, get professional help, please. And yeah, that and a good designer will go a long way. You know, you get that book in somebody's hand, what's the first thing they're doing? They're looking at the cover and then they're going to flip it over and they're going to read the back. You know, those things have to sell your book. So, you know, have that team in place, people who understand your work, people who can sell it to the audience that you're trying to reach. They have to know your reader group. So I don't know. That's a little bit of a pet peeve with me and indie authors is the whole, you don't have to hire a copywriter for your team because you're a writer. Gosh, darn it. Well, I, I think the easiest way to understand how that works, too, is if you just go through and look at your competitors' books and how they're presented on Amazon and what does theirs look like versus what yours looks like and yeah. how does the copy read, how does the cover look in the, you know, the larger format, how, do, uh, how does it look when it appears in the customers that bought this also bought that. Um, you know, it has to it has to sell it in a variety of different formats, like you said. Um, but all those are are you know such a they, it needs to be a cohesive thing, um, and it needs to stand out. You know, it needs to be it needs to be cohesive and coherent in its own right, but it also needs to look professional. I mean, you know, when I when I look at a self published book and that's got a lousy uh, you know, a lousy preview looking thing on, on Amazon and you know, it just doesn't look like a professional did it. Um, and then it says, you know, published by Create Space, which is another, uh, you know, critical error that I think a lot of indie authors make because that instantly screams that you, you didn't think the process all the way through. Um, the guy that I was talking about that 
self-published, did it on Lulu, and mm. it was the same principle where you want to feel the formatting and the the mentality that big book publishers use. I mean, look at what a successful book does, and then you need to have, you know, whether you do it yourself or whether you hire somebody to do it who's a good copywriter. But, you know, it's like, I, I want my book to look as if Random House published it. You know, again, why why go through all the blood, sweat, and tears of writing the book and then fumble the ball on the one-yard line? Marketing books is tough enough not to, not to lose it, uh, you know, on something that's so simple. Look, you know, putting out a professional-looking book is not cheap, and it doesn't have to cost a small fortune either. You have to understand what your likely return is going to be before you invest too much in something like that, especially your first. Um, but at the same time, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. You know, we hear these stats about how little most Amazon authors actually make from their self-published books. And it's like, well, what are they putting into those books? You know, what have they invested to make that book appeal to more readers? What are they investing to sell that book? And oftentimes it's not enough. So you have to strike that balance between, you know, thinking that this is all DIY, all free, and you're going to make a shit ton of money versus being willing to invest in something because you realize that you're in business and this is a product that you're bringing to market. And you have to think about the marketing and the sales and the author PR and all of that stuff. That's all a part of it. And it's so easy to neglect that. But I want to go back for a second. You mentioned create space and I suspect we might get a little backlash <laughs> from that comment. That's okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll own it. <laughs> so I'm just curious, is it when you see create space listed as a publisher that it bothers you or is it the cert, you know, just the service itself as opposed no. to other indie printing services or publishing services? No, not at all, because I actually I used CreateSpace to uh, publish my books. So, you know, I'm not I am. Please don't uh, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying anything bad about CreateSpace. What I'm saying is that you need to buy your own ISBN number and create your own publishing entity, whether it's your name or a, a you know a, a business type name. Um, and the other thing is that if CreateSpace owns your ISBN, there are issues with that as far as what you can do with it. Um, so to give yourself the most latitude, what I'm saying is that you need to you need to buy your own ISBN and you know, use CreateSpace. I love CreateSpace. I mean, I, I actually uh, really am impressed by the quality of the books and the speed and, and all that. So I have no issue with CreateSpace itself. What I've got an issue with is taking the taking the route that they will channel you into, which is that they're the publisher. Okay. So now I'm glad that we clarified that so people don't jump on you for just bashing CreateSpace. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, what I was no, hoping no, no. to get at. Okay. No, no. I Absolutely. I've, I've been a huge – I've published all of my books through CreateSpace. Um, I also I also put them on Ingram Spark so that they get on the uh, Barnes and Noble. But that's the that's what I'm talking about is that if you just do CreateSpace, 
I don't think, and I, I probably shouldn't speak out of without knowing this for a fact, but I think there are issues with being able to take it and put it on other sites if you don't own that ISBN number. Please, please, uh, you know, don't, don't come back. At, don't come back at me, people, with that. If I'm if I'm wrong on that, that's my understanding. But the other thing is, I just think it looks better to have a publishing company name, yeah, than it does to have create space where where it says what it's published by. Um, yeah, no, I agree completely with that. Absolutely, well, it's it's more it's more restrictive from a business perspective. Um, but no, I I adore CreateSpace. I sell lots of books to them. Awesome. So we've talked about indie authors, and we've talked about freelancers a bit. Um, and I should just note quickly for freelancers, some you know other people you might want to add to your creative team are virtual assistants. If you have trouble managing the admin side of things, or even proofreaders and marketing help. So. Anything that you don't have time to do, just letting somebody kind of give your work a once over before you send it to clients. Um, you know, I don't have a regular proofreader. You know, some freelancers do. You don't have to, but if, especially if English is not your first language and you're writing for English language clients and markets, that is a good person to add to your team. Marketing help, that could be anything from somebody who handles all of your marketing because you just hate marketing, although that will get expensive to bring people in for very specific things. So if you're launching something, a new website or something, you might want to bring in a PR person to just help you generate a little buzz. Or if you're releasing a new report or ebook targeting your client base, you might want to have some help. Or if you're just looking for somebody to help you find leads or research particular publications, you know, you can bring people in for little one-off projects like that. But so now that we've, you know, we covered that, and we've covered authors. Let's talk about bloggers. As a blogger, you know, we're both bloggers here. Who is the most important or the most valuable person on your creative team when it comes to your blogging, Jake? Well, um, <clears throat> that's actually where I kind of go the DIY route. Um, okay. As far as the, uh, you know, the actual production of, of everything. But... Last July, I hired a web designer to totally overhaul the site, and um, you know I, I spent a decent amount of money on it. And uh, I was just frustrated with the the old one, um, and it was ugly, uh, and probably scaring people away. <laughs> and I I knew that uh, I knew that I needed to improve that, um, so I bit the bullet. Had somebody redesign it, and uh, so you know, that was a pretty big investment. Um, but it's so much more functional and so much easier to use. Looks so much better, um, and uh, and I've been getting better, better results. So uh, you know that that kind of was the the front end where I knew I was driving an old jalopy, and um, I needed something that could move a little bit faster than that. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I use stock photography and I write everything myself. And, um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, and I could probably, I got a proofreader to proof stuff, but, I, you know, if somebody picks on me for misspelling a word, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't worry about that so much with blogging simply because it's such an immediate sort of medium. 
you know, as opposed to a book that you're agonizing over for months or years in some cases. Um, yeah. I like yeah. to be able to just publish, you know, if something comes up, if there's an issue going on and I want to comment on it, I don't want to have to wait a week, you know, to slowly plan it out, and blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm just going to publish a rant because that's what I do. Right. <laughs> because, because ranting is fun. It is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm definitely so, more of an essays-style blogger than – I can't remember who I was just talking to about this. And we were just talking about, um, you know, blogging styles and how people these days are like, oh, you have to cite such and such number of sources and you have to link out to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, because that's what's going to make you look like an authority. And that – style of blogging frustrates the hell out of me because a the people writing still usually aren't authorities and it's still pretty obvious b citing other secondary sources does not make you an authority um and again those are often secondary sources like other big bloggers and they're really only linking to them because they want recognition. They want that person to notice that they link to them and potentially link back to them. And that is just, that's such a lame way to blog. I can't stand that. And there's just something fake about it. Yes, link to sources to back up what you're saying if you need to do that, but go to primary sources. Don't rely on somebody else's interpretation of data and think that that makes you an authority because I find that half the time, these bigger bloggers, they actually have put like no critical thought into the data they're sharing. And they're at, what they're actually telling their readers is completely contrary to what the numbers are saying. And I, I don't know, I find that so incredibly frustrating. So yeah, I am largely an essay style blogger. Because of that, because that's the style I go with, and not on all of my blogs. It's not all of them, but on all indie writers, it's a little bit more like that uh, combination essay style and tutorials. And then my PR blog, which I am bringing back from the dead soon, was always a strictly essay style blog. And honestly, most of the best blogs in the PR industry are like that. So it was just a good fit for that particular niche. But my point is with that style of blogging, it does not make sense for me to take a lot of time between idea and publication where I'm going to be bringing in people to design a header image and bringing in people to, you know, edit and proofread for me and stuff. It, that just doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't suit the style of blogging. Now, if you're writing a lot of technical things, sure, you might want to have a fact checker or somebody come in. Um, if you're writing really long epic posts all the time and you just happen to be the kind of blogger who's not great at spotting your own typos, then sure, bring in a proofreader. I don't think it's necessary in most cases, though, for bloggers. It's an understanding of your audience and combining that with how you want to say what it is that you want to say. And it's not that there's no need for those other aspects, but it is immediate. It is, you know, it's obviously longer lasting than a tweet, but the vast majority of your traffic is probably going to come quickly. And then you've got kind of a long tail off of that. But, um, you know, spend the time on forming good thoughts. Uh, and like you say, not just citing authority, 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 um, 
you know, take an opinion, take a stand. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the goofy thing. So did you see my April Fool's post? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. So <laughs> first of all, I was, I was blown away at how many people were actually fooled. <laughs> so the, the, the background was, uh, for those of you who didn't see it, I, on April Fool's Day, I posted that I was quitting freelancing. And so I actually had a client call me in tears she was so upset because she felt so of course I felt like the worst person in the world um because she's she's the nicest person in the world um I was like no don't worry I'm, I'm, this is April Fool's Day ha 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 um but you know it was funny because it was so much fun to generate the kind of you know generate a discussion um and you know, people, it, it was actually the, the thing that sort of uh, surprised me was the number of people that agreed with the horrible things about freelancing, which I don't, I totally, I mean, I literally sat down and wrote that post. These are all the things that I disagree with, but I'm going to spin it like I agree with, <laughs> agree with them. And uh, it's just so funny that people have such a different philosophy about what the horrible things are about freelancing. I just don't, um, I don't feel that way. I mean, it's a business and it is every day a little happy carnival in my office. No, but um, certainly better than going uh, to an office because I would be the world's worst employee at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, you, you cannot tame the wild uh, animal once it's been feral for, <laughs> 17 years. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, my, my favorite posts to write, and I think the ones that are the most, uh, you know, I don't know, the ones that have, the, the ones that I remember are the ones where I take a little bit different approach or, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to be preachy. Um, you know, sometimes things are very practical and, um, you know, here's how to do this or here's how to do that. But my favorite things are when somebody asks me a question, that's yeah. a thought provoking question. Like that to me is my favorite thing because I know that if one person is asking this question that there are others. And that's, exactly. that was kind of the genesis of Dr. Freelance in the very beginning was that I was going to be like, uh, you know, answering questions all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, mean, I, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm more essay style, but um, mostly I just, uh, because I'm kind of intermittent about it, I'm not very disciplined about it. I post every Tuesday and Thursday or whatever. Yeah. Usually something has to strike my fancy in order for me to be uh, engaged. And uh, funny enough, too, that, and you may find this, but the, the best posts are the ones that are easiest to write. Yeah, when you're passionate, when you care about what you're saying, yeah, it makes a big yeah. difference. Yeah, you just you have a thought and you, you run with it, and also it's like, wow, okay, 500 words, boom. And I think that's what so many blogs these days are missing is that the bloggers don't really feel like they have anything to say. I read them and it's just rehashing from other blogs. It's rehashing old material that everybody's been talking about for a decade, but adding nothing new. Or it's just, oh, well, these keywords will help me rank in Google. So I'm going to write about this and I don't actually give a shit about this. But, you know, so-and-so says I should write about it or Google says I should write about it. So I don't know, like where'd the personality go? You know, I don't feel like we have that quite as much as we did 
a few years ago now that it feels like everybody wants to start a blog to make money and and add membership sites to their blogs and it's just it's gotten frustrating you know i want to see the real authorities those are the people who have something to say they've been there they know the industry inside and out and i'm not just talking about the writing industry i'm talking about whatever industry you happen to specialize in they're the people who can think critically about things going on and not just repeat what they're hearing in the echo chamber. You know, it's, you have to have your own thoughts. You have to have something of value. I think that's missing, but I think when you have that, you know, yeah, I, I do see, you know, you're, I was a little surprised actually when you originally said that you go m- more DIY with the blog, but you know, the more we're talking about it, I'm thinking, yeah, I kind of do too. And I, I can see why we do that because a blog is such a personal sort of thing. And even company blogs, it's about the company identity and the personal blog is about your personal identity. And it really is. It's about that direct connection between the blogger or whoever's behind the blog and the readers. And having, I think, too much interference detracts from that a little bit. So I don't think I would want somebody else editing my blog post. I think that's more of a stream of consciousness kind of thing. You know, obviously we clean up our own blog posts as best we can, or at least we're supposed to. I'll admit I'm not always <laughs> the best yeah. proofreader of my blog yeah. posts. But the great thing is we can always go back and fix that too. So, yeah, as long oh, as readers absolutely. are, yeah, when readers are yeah. like, uh, hey, I'm not sure what this says, or you made a typo here. It's like, oh, okay, thank you. I'll fix it. All better now. <laughs> it's not yeah, a good deal. Yeah. It's a little different than a book, you know, once it's in print. So. <laughs> or a oh, client yeah. project, heaven forbid, client projects always get help if you need it. But One more, one more thought on the blogging, um, which is that, you know, I, I don't just read writer and editor blogs. That to me is just not that fun. Yeah. Um, I like to read all sorts of different things from all sorts of business sources. And, um, you know, I find that there's a lot of incredibly interesting things that can be applied to your own field, but learning it from a designer who's a, a, a blogger who's a graphic designer or a photographer or, you know, there, there are commonalities to being a solo professional um, you know, the, the 1099 brigade, uh, you know, there are commonalities that you can draw on. So, um, you know, I think getting some diversity of where, you know, cause otherwise it does become like you're saying the echo chamber and, uh, that quickly becomes tedious if, if you're just rehashing stuff that's been said a million times, you know, <laughs> I guess the, the flip side of that is that, Everybody's always asking questions about pricing. Yeah. <laughs> always. I mean, you know, I belong to half a dozen Facebook groups or whatever. And I mean, I would be so retired right now if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked a pricing question. <laughs> um, you know, and that's, that's actually why I originally wrote my pricing book is because there were so many people who were asking pricing questions. I was like, oh, my God, maybe I'll take a crack at answering them. That I, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but you know, there are certain topics where it's just constant. Um, but, you know, I try to, I try to limit the number of pricing posts I do just because, uh, you know, I want to have something that's interesting 
not just a rehash about um, low price people are killing the industry. It's like, yeah. no, they're not. <laughs> I, I so totally disagree with that. And that's just, they're not even your competition. Exactly. If you're in business, if you're in business, low price people or free people are not doing any harm to you because the people that are using their services weren't going to pay you anyway. Exactly. Totally different market. So don't be offended that the next uh, Query Free Freelancer ebook is actually on pricing too. So. <laughs> hey, that's, yeah, I hope I didn't offend you by my comment. It's been sitting there like half, it, it's almost ready to go for months and I just kind of am like, eh. <laughs> well, I, I will be interested to read it because, uh, you know, even in the, uh, you know, three, three years or whatever since, since I published the Science, Art, and Voodoo book, um, I feel like my, my concepts of how to price and things like that, I mean, you know, when I do a second edition of it, I'm going to work some, uh, some additional thoughts into, into how it all works. But yeah, I want to read your book. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, um, well, it's largely, you know, I've written so much about pricing on the blog over the years that just said it was time to kind of put it all together and not only cover how to set them, set your rates, but also how to increase them and things like that, you know, dealing with just that whole move up. But so yep. I don't know, still just need to finish revising it and then it'll go out hopefully soon, actually. <laughs> Cool. Now, now when I get off the phone, I'm going to go watch a soccer game, and then I'm going to go work on the ebook because I feel bad for letting it sit. <laughs> well, I, so. I got my cattle prod out. Go to it. <laughs> See, well, now, now Jake is going to wait until <laughs> mine's out so he can one-up me with his second edition. <laughs> no, no, it's not, not going to get Trust me. I'm actually, my, my current book uh, that I'm working on is about referrals, and so... Uh, mm-hmm. I want to have that. I'm speaking at the Editorial Freelancers Association conference at the end of August in New York City, and so uh, I'm putting together a book on referrals for that. So that's uh, pricing. Pricing is further down in the queue. So you know, just to kind of like wrap this up now, you want to talk about DIY again because so many writers have a strong stance on doing as much as they can themselves, and you know, I just want to say. That is perfectly fine. I think it's important when you're a writer of any any kind of independent writer, I think it's important to learn some of these things, at least the basics in a DIY capacity. And the biggest reason for that is then when you hire a professional, when you need the help, you have a better feeling for what's involved. So, for example, I know enough PHP that I can go in and make alterations to plugins and themes and I can I can code a theme. But if I need something bigger done, like a completely new plugin created just for my sites, which I've had done a few times, then I know, okay, I know what's involved in working with that code and I know that I don't want to do that. So I know where my limit is because I know I have enough DIY skills to do what I need to do most of the time. But I have a limit and I know what's involved. And then when I'm hiring someone, I know what clean code looks like. And I know that I'm getting what I'm paying for. And it's the same thing with designing and specifically WordPress themes and website designs, HTML. 
again, I know enough about that that I know if I'm getting a quality product or if that's complete garbage and going to be a nightmare for me later. And I've had some really badly coded websites because I made the mistake of hiring a designer who said that they also had a coder that they worked with. And it turns out they were just sort of doing it themselves and kind of letting the software handle that. Um, And it was a mess. So by picking up some DIY skills, you kind of get a better feel for where your money is best spent on hiring pros. And that's, so yeah, you know, play with these things, pick up some skills. And for me, the other thing is quick fixes. Again, if there's a problem with the plugin and it's causing an issue on my site, I can go in and fix that. I don't have to wait for somebody. Um, When my site was hacked, I knew what to do. I went in there. I was able to find the file that was changed. I was able to fix it, get the site back online. And then, but here's the key, know your limits. Because after I got that cleaned up, after that hack, that's when I went and I hired a security company to come in and do a thorough scan of everything on my server and to harden that server, you know, to improve the security to prevent these things from happening in the future. And that's, you know, that's the key. So have enough DIY skills that you can cover the basics, the quick things, things that need to be done immediately where you can't wait if you want to. But know your limits because you, you're you not going to be an expert at everything, not design and coding and writing and marketing and you know, everything. You're not going to be perfect at everything. I can do artwork. I've got marketing and PR down. I've got basic coding skills and I can write. So there's a lot that I can do DIY, but I'm not an expert at design. I'm not an expert coder. So when I need something bigger or more complicated done, that's when I know, okay, it's not worth my time compared to what I could be earning if I invest that time in paying work instead to do these bigger projects. And that's when I know to go ahead and hire somebody. It's more cost effective and I'm going to get something better as a result. So there's value in DIY and I think that's important. I don't think you should necessarily, I don't want to discourage you from learning these kinds of skills, but understand that having basic skills in these areas doesn't mean that you are the best person for the job all the time. And then I'll leave that to Jake to weigh. (laughs) Yeah, no, I will concur. Uh, And, you know, the expression I always use is opportunity cost. Yeah. So if you're working on something that if it takes me three hours to do something that somebody who's more skilled than I am can do in one, taking that time to do it, but that's three hours that I could have done something else with. Exactly. Even if it was, uh, you know, going and hitting golf balls or eating the backyard. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, I think the, the opportunity cost aspect of it is important to understand. That being said, I mean, I'm I'm a committed do-it-yourselfer when it comes to my taxes, for example. And, you know, I probably could hire an, uh, a bookkeeper or whatever to do that, but I just, I like doing that for some perverse reason. Don't, don't ask me why. You're not allowed to ask why. Uh, but, you know, it gives me a feel for where my business is in a better way than if I just handed somebody my shoebox full of receipts and, and had them figure it out. So, you know, but I do, knowing my limits, I do have 
a CPA review everything to make sure that I haven't done anything stupid. So yeah. you know, that's kind of uh, you know one example where I know that that probably is something that I could hire a bookkeeper to do, but I accept it, acknowledge it, uh, and I I just like knowing that about knowing that my business at that detail level. Um, one time where doing a DIY thing got me into trouble was, uh, it was probably last fall. So my, my Dr. Freelance site was pretty new at the time. And <clears throat> I wanted to make, and you're probably going to understand more about this than I do because you're, you're intelligent about coding. So I wanted to make changes to the HT access file. <laughs> because, that can be disastrous <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> he's laughing at me. Uh, yeah, so you know, I, I, there was something. I think it might have been something with robots or something. Uh, and so I wanted to, I wanted to prevent something that was going on. And I, I read a bunch of blogs, and it all seemed like all of them had similar code that did the same thing. And so, okay, here's, you know, here's a better way to do your HTA access file. Well, as soon as I pressed save, boom, my site went black. I mean, it was <laughs> it was just done. And so, I, and I had I I had done it in the evening, so I didn't do it. You know, that's another thing. If you if you monkey with your code, never do it at 8 a.m. Yeah. Um, you know, do it do it at a time where people aren't going to see it. Uh, but so anyway, I quickly call GoDaddy. And we were able to revert the site to you know five minutes previous or whatever. But it was it was absolutely terrifying because I thought that I had destroyed like I just thought I'd I'd pushed the the nuclear button and blown up my entire site. Like that was my first instinct was oh my god, you know, seven years of work down the toilet. Uh, what do you do? You know, oh what you don't need to back it up, no problem. So anyway, that was my horror story about DIY. And I, I mean, I do know a little bit about HTML because one of my clients at one point had me working uh, back in the early HTML days. Um, and uh, I actually built my original, my original Boom Van Creative site, my, my copywriting site. I built myself using HTML. So, I mean, I, I knew enough to be dangerous, but yeah, the <laughs> HT access file is a third rail. Don't touch it. Don't know what you're doing. <laughs> call Jen. <laughs> Don't call Jen. <laughs> just back it up so that you can go in through your host if you make a mistake and just paste in the original version. It's super easy as long as you remember to you know, back that up first. Um, it's just funny. Now the I reason I was laughing at you there is because I was just talking to an author who is uh, well, she's in charge of a writer's organization that I was involved with. And we were talking about ideas for the organization's website. And she kind of said the same thing you did, that she knew just enough about HT access to basically break the site. <laughs> yeah. So you're yeah. not the only one. <laughs> and, and they warn you. I mean, you know, it says if you do this wrong, <laughs> like, I'm copy and pasting exactly what was here. What could go wrong? It's like, okay, what could go wrong if you hit the save button? Not good. It just cut off your access. It didn't actually touch your database, thankfully. So that's where everything's yeah. saved. So always back up your databases. That, if you lose it, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. So to rehash, there's nothing wrong with taking the DIY route, but know your limits and know when to bring in help. Your creative team as a writer is a valuable asset. Those people let you spend more time writing and ultimately let you earn more money in the process. So I think that's all Jake and I have for you today. I want to thank him for stopping by the show today. You should check back in next week when I'll continue with our community question series. I will also share more information then about my latest joint project with fellow freelancer and one of my go-to gals, Lori Widmer. In the meantime, you can sign up for updates on that project and weekly advanced marketing tips for experienced freelance writers over at freelancewritingpros.com. Do you want me to tackle something specific in a future episode? You can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindywriters.com slash podcast by emailing me at jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindywriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindywriters.com slash podcast slash 23. You can also access this podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a freelance theater production. Freelance theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.